you know, I'll just share personally, and I, if you guys have anything to share along these lines, I'd love to hear it. But I think it's always good for us as the ones who stand up on stage and teach to just even share, hey, what am I learning in in this series? What, what's God been pressing into my own heart? I have just sensed the Lord asking me many times over in my preparation to teach through this, uh, Jeff, do you love me? Do you love me? In a very inviting uncondemning, just arms open wide type way. Uh, Do you love me? Because if you do, it's going to be evident. Welcome to this week's podcast of Digging Deeper. Uh, We want to continue to do just exactly that. We want to dig deeper into what we're teaching on Sunday mornings and see what the Lord may have for us as we... uh, as we dig into the text a little more and even to the themes that we're teaching and uh, see what we can mine and what God might press into our hearts and to our minds as we move forward. And so thanks for joining us. I'm joined as I usually am on these podcasts with Caleb Click and Bob Cargo, who are part uh, each part of the teaching team here at Perimeter Church. I'm Jeff Norris, the uh, senior pastor here at Perimeter. And uh, this week we, we're finishing up or just finished up this past Sunday uh, our series that we've been in, in in the book of Exodus. This has been part two this year of the book of Exodus. Last year, in the fall of 2020, we, we covered the first 15 chapters of the book. This year, in this part two segment um, that we just finished up, we we really we only covered five chapters because they were so chocked full of, of, of things that we said, you know, we don't want to skip over too much here. And so we went chapters 16 through 20 with chapter 20 being the culmination where we are given, uh, God has given Moses and therefore to us now through the Word of God, the Ten Commandments and the law, the moral law, um, and the covenant of the law through Moses. So I think that's where we're going to camp out today, guys, is as we think about, there's a lot that we could go back and, and look at in chapter 17 and 18 and 19, and, and certainly it would be appropriate to do so. However, as we think about the significance of chapter 20 and all that's taking place there and God giving the law and the Ten Commandments, um, there's, there's just so much to, to dig into. I mean, I, I spent the last two weeks on Sunday morning digging into it. However, even with that, there was so much that I wasn't able to say and so much more that we could say. And so let's spend this time that we have doing that. And uh, so I'll throw some, some questions out. I'll let you guys jump in with some thoughts and answers uh, with these questions, and of course, I'll, I'll comment as well. But here's a, here's a couple things to get us going. When we think about the law, um, I, w- I would suspect, and y'all tell me if you think differently. I know for me personally, for whatever reason, and I don't know if it's because of maybe perhaps the cultural context that I was raised in, um, but when I hear Ten Commandments, I don't typically naturally instinctively go, oh, yes, the Ten Commandments. That Man, that fires me up. I can't wait to, uh, to read these, to implement these in my life, and this brings joy, right? Do y'all, are y'all with me in that? Is that yeah, sim- similar mm-hmm. feelings? Mm-hmm. Yeah? Um, so maybe, maybe here's one question is why. Why is it that that's our in- instinct? is to to feel the opposite, to immediately feel, oh man, here we go, Ten Commandments, time for me to, you know, feel weight and guilt and burden and duty and so forth. 
And uh, and then, yeah, so with that, well, let's talk about that first. Why, why is that? And then I'll follow up with some questions. Why do you think we that's our instinct? I, I think, first thing that uh, enters my mind is uh, just the huge pride I have, we all have, to think, I know what's best for my life. Yeah. And so, you know, so, okay, here's God's law for you. Well, golly, I know better than God does. Right. I, I want to live the way I want to live. So I, I, I take it that his law is not out of love, or it's not good, or it's not wise, or it's not really the best thing for me. And it's just when I stop and think about that, that's so prideful to think that I know a better way to live life than he does for me. He made me. Yeah. 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 Caleb, what are you, what are you chewing on? I mean, I think I would echo exactly the same thing just with the addition. I mean, like I, I, I'm pretty certain the way I was raised and I don't think my parents did this on purpose, but the impression I got of this period was that you had to earn your salvation on the basis of this law. Not, not it once Christ came, but that that was what was happening to the old Testament people of God. And so I looked at the law and just felt, always felt very condemning and yeah. very rigid. Um, and it's taken a long time to realize that one, that's the, the, that reading of Exodus is just totally backwards. That was never the way they were saved. Um, right. But uh, that was not my impression as a kid. And so it always seemed to me like this negative thing that was kind of scary and, and where I didn't really have a category to know how to deal with it. Yeah. And so there's that, there's that visceral, like what we feel emotionally, what we feel just very instinctively and natural, naturally as humans, even if we don't have any uh, biblical understanding, right? Or any theological framework, we just naturally as humans are just going to be given law and, and respond to it negatively, right? That's just human nature. Uh, it's a joy kill, right? Maybe one way to say it, like, okay, uh, law automatically means fun is out the door, joy is out the door, happiness is out the door, blessedness is out the door. This is all just heavy, burdensome obligation. Um, all right, so with that, let's give some theological framework around why God gave the law. What What is it that's going on in the book of Exodus? Um, and how is it, here's the key question, how is it an expression of his love for his people? You know, you, we've entitled this whole series, you know, Provisions in the Wilderness. And uh, a lot of us, I know I can, when I think about provisions, I'm thinking, okay, God's going to provide things, and he's going to provide deliverance from bad circumstances. Right. That's what I'm all about. And it's a whole nother framework to say, really what the best thing God provides is the definition of what is true— and he is providing this. Your illustration from American Idol was great, Jeff. About you know, he is providing an awareness for me from who I really is, who I really am. Right. Yep. And then providing my greatest need of deliverance from this sin that would destroy me. You know, the sin that will enslave me and destroy me and condemn me. And he's kind enough to save me from those things. But the first step in getting saved from those things is to realize my condition. And so it's a very great gift to get this law so that I I know my need for Christ, and then I look to Christ, and then he guides me in ways of of holiness that are for my good. And we're really no different than you know, little kids. You know, a, a small child gets so upset because mommy or daddy won't let them put this metal object into an electrical outlet, <laughs> right, you know, yeah, right. or won't let me have candy and eat it all yeah. day long and makes me eat this other food. That's all an expression of love for mom or dad, but the child can't see the love behind it because all they know is their short-term want. All they know is you're not letting me do what I want to do. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Mm -hmm. 
Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, I think about that as a parent. And I, I that's that's a really good way to think about it, Bob, of um, you know, I I'm gonna give instructions, I'm gonna give law, if you will, to my kids. Now, as as a imperfect, broken, sinful human as I am, certainly sometimes those uh, you know, those things that come out of me uh, towards my kids that would be instructive are coming out of places that are sinful in me, right? I just I just don't want to be bothered right now. Go do this, right? But that's never the case with God. God's perfect. God's perfectly loving. And so every instruction he gives us is an expression of his love because of what is best for us. Um, and so it's one of these realities that even though we buck against it and we immediately push back on it, uh, understanding the heart of God. So as a parent, there is that part that you want your kids to understand of like, hey, I'm telling you this because I love you and because I want what's best for you. But but to your point, Bob, there's that other wrinkle to it that is so important, which is to say God in his wisdom and in his infinite wisdom and sovereignty knows this is ultimately going to condemn you. You can't do it because of sin in you. And the law is going to give opportunity to, to sin in you to to grab hold of you. And that's actually a gift for you to see your great need for for deliverance, right? Um, and so, yeah, with that American Idol illustration, it's like, it's a great gift to those horrible singers to be told, hey, you can't sing, right? Before you keep going on making a further fool of yourself, you need to hear, you can't sing. And you don't want to hear that, but that's actually a I'm giving you a good thing. I'm giving you uh, a good instruction here that's going to help you in the long run. But Caleb, what are your thoughts in terms of when we think about um, God's reason for giving the law? Uh, what's he doing even as, you know, what's happening on Mount Sinai, all the context there? Like maybe even if you want to take us back to the end of chapter 19, what are we seeing about the holiness of God as we move into chapter 20? Yeah, so... You know, right before the God gives the law, I mean, he, he reminds them who he is. You know, he's the one who's redeemed them. He's borne them on eagles' wings. He's brought them out of slavery. And so redemption precedes the law. Relationship with God has already been established. So the law, the law doesn't create the relationship. The law is given to govern it. Yep. So you think about, like you mentioned the parent illustration earlier, right? Like when we give our kids instructions, it's not so that they would become our children. They're already our children. We're giving them that instruction because we care for them, and we're giving them uh, a means of governing that relationship. And so, like I think about with my kids, like I'm constantly, like especially with my my daughters, when I'll give them something and say, "Hey, don't do this or do this," and when they don't, the conversation I always try to like steer them towards is, is you know, okay, what did you do? What did Daddy say not to do? Why does Daddy tell you not to do that? And, and sometimes they'll usually they'll go, Oh, I don't know. Even though they know the answer because they don't want to say it. Right. But it's like, I told you not to do that. Or I told you to do it because I love you and I care for you. Like, that's the reason I'm giving this to you. It's not because I want to hurt you, but because I want you to flourish. And God is giving his people who have all of whom are, have sinned in Adam and have gone astray in Adam. He's giving them a picture of what it looks like to flourish in relationship with him and with the world. And so you think about if you want to see like the embodied vision of the kingdom of God, that's what's being given to Israel in the law. Yeah. If they would keep it, they would have been, uh, which they never really do, but if they had ever kept that, it, they would have been the most unique nation in all the world. It would yeah. have been incredible. Um, and so God is giving them this little bit. It's also part of it is, well, 
you've got this God in grace who wants his people to flourish, but also a God who's holy. And you see that in Exodus 19. He, he tells them he's the redeemer. He tells them he has this unique calling for them. They're to be his treasure possession, a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But then when Israel approaches the mountain, the, the holiness of God, that he, he cannot be in the midst of a sinful people becomes apparent. You know, his people have to be holy as he is holy. Right. And like you're saying, the law just, it exposes that. Yeah. Is we can't approach that law and stand in our own strength. Yeah. Like it, and the law recognizes that. That's why there's sacrifices and all the rules about the temple is like the, the recognition that God, a holy God is dealing with a sinful people who need to be made holy is built into it. Yep. And, and that's where we have, we can look at it from this side of Jesus and the cross and see that redeemer and his work in full of a God who's, he makes, has made us holy, not because of anything we've done, but because of the work of Christ on our behalf. Yeah. Uh, and the God who's pictured and is in shadow in the Exodus, we, we get to see in full in, in Jesus. Full approach. Yeah. Quick little caveat, something that struck me in chapter 19 that we just didn't have time to get to is, um, you know, you've got. At the end of 19, you've got the, or the second half of the chapter 19, you've got this, this picture that's being painted of God is now descended upon Mount Sinai. And uh, the, the words that are being used there are just pretty um, incredible. You know, the thunder cl- clapping and the lightning and the thick clouds of darkness. And, and it says, you know, God gives instruction in that where he says, uh, don't let anyone touch the mountain or they will die. Yeah. Right. And so all of a sudden, what you realize is that the mountain has become the Ark of the Covenant, so to speak. It's become the dwelling place of the Lord. And just like later on, once the Ark has been established and, and no one can touch it lest they die. Why? Because it's the presence of the Lord and He is holy and we are sinful and we cannot be with Him unless, unless there is a sufficient sacrifice that has been made and atonement has been paid. There's been propitiation for sin. There's been cleansing. There's been bloodshed, so forth. So a little bit of a caveat there, but you get the picture of, okay, this is a holy God giving his holy law to basically say, if you want to know what pleases me, if you want to know what my character is, if you want to know who I am and what I'm about, here it is. Uh, This is what I love. Will you love what I love? This is what I hate. Will you hate what I hate? Will you be about the things of God? And there for a little while with Israel, um, you follow the Israelites through the book of Joshua, and there's there's this one little period uh, after they've come into the promised land where they've driven out all these different people groups and clans and they've divvied up the land according to the various tribes of Israel. And there's this one little part at the end of Joshua where it says, and we don't know how many years this was, but it just says for quite some time uh, they dwelled in the land and, and everything went well and uh, because they were loving the Lord their God and they were, they were obeying him. And it was just like this moment, this brief moment in, Israel, in Israelite history where it was like, yeah. yes, they're living this out. Now, certainly not perfectly, but there's no other gods. There's no other idols. There's no Ashtoreth or Baal. There's, you know, and then Joshua dies. And you move into the time of the judges, and it just becomes what it becomes, where it's just this cyclical rhythm of idolatry and repentance and idolatry and repentance and, not, and so on and so forth. I don't want to get into the weeds with that because here's where I want to take us. Uh, ultimately, the law leads us to a real realization of our sin, that we cannot, because of sin in us, achieve the law or please God through the law in a salvific way or even in a way that would uh, be anything that would be driven out of uh, anything other than love for God. So I want to jump to the New Testament 
And I want to, I want to, I want to take us into some of the things that Paul teaches us, that God teaches us through Paul. I want to think specifically about some of the things that he says in Romans seven, and then really the whole book of Galatians, and some of the things that he's bringing out about. Okay, the, you know, Romans seven, he's saying, look, the law is good. We talked about this on Sunday morning. The law is good. Law is not the issue. Our hearts are the issue. When the law is given, then suddenly I'm aware of my sin. So what do we do with that? So what? maybe we don't camp out in Romans 7 as much as the book of Galatians. What are some of the things that Paul's bringing up in Galatians that, that are really instructive for us in, to ter- in terms of how we tend to uh, take the law and misconstrue it and misuse it um, in ways that God didn't, didn't uh, design for us? Bob, what are, what are some thoughts you have there? Uh, yeah, you know, when, when the Apostle Paul wrote the book of Galatians, he was sort of in the background writing against people that were saying that our relationship with God and our forgiveness is based on our obedience to the law. Uh, but a lot of the professing believers in Galatia had understood that enough to profess faith in Christ and to put their faith in Christ. But Paul was recognizing that uh, the problem was they started that way, and then they got off track, so to speak. Yeah, they started with an attitude of, "Yeah, my first conversion, my my forgiveness at first was grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone," and then they'd fallen into one of two bad things or both. One was, "Well, I started that way, but now to keep it up, I've got to earn it." It's sort of like, you know, God was kind enough to forgive me of all this stuff from the past, but now I've got to shape up you know, and fly right, and I've got to, I've got to behave, because he's not going to, you know, keep forgiving me like that. I mean, yeah. he'd start it like that, but he's not going to keep it up, so now I've got to be good. I mean, I got in by grace, and I'm going to stay in by being good. Uh, and Paul says, no, that's, that's not it. You know, you started by grace, you're going to end by grace. It's our, our being set free from the penalty of sin is always by grace. But then the other thing that he hits in Galatians is the idea that when people would think, okay, uh, it, being set free from the penalty of sin, not being sent to hell, et cetera, not being condemned, is by grace. But if I'm going to overcome the power of sin, it's all up to me. you know. And so I've got to work hard in the flesh. This is my effort, my attempts. And Paul doubles down to say, no, that's just as much about the Spirit as your conversion was. It's just as much by grace as your conversion was. It's just as much by faith as your conversion was. Yeah, there is a discipline and an effort that's connected to our obedience. But it's no less by grace, no less by faith, no less by the work of Christ, no less uh, a result of the gospel, you know, and so to me, that's the connection here. That that uh, God is saying these commandments are for your good. Of this is what a human being is. This is what my sons and daughters look like. This is what introduces me to my need for Christ. That I would first trust Him, but it, but Christ is also the one that delivers me from the power of this sin, not just the penalty. And so. You know, I keep looking to Christ. I keep looking to Christ. I keep looking to Christ. I keep living by faith and grace, uh, aiming toward uh, obedience to the law and not just deliverance from his penalty. So, you know, to me, that's the big connection between Galatians and and, uh, the law. The law, yeah. Can I build off that? Because I think that that actually goes back, you know, the first question you asked us is why do we tend to have a negative view of Mm -hmm. the law? Mm -hmm. And I think Galatians is a 
good reason why sometimes is like both in this book, but also in the gospels, like we tend to read the Old Testament, the law in particular, through the lens of the Pharisees and then of the circumcision party. And, and the assumption that I think we may have made unconsciously when we read sometimes is that they were right and that Jesus brought something new and different mm. versus what Jesus is saying to the Pharisees is, no, you know the law, you don't understand it though. You, you've misunderstood it. You're using it the wrong way. And then Paul, to the group in Galatia, he's basically, if you notice how he makes his argument, he keeps going back to the Old Testament and saying, don't you remember what happened with Abraham? Like, that's the basis of all this. Right. Like, it's it's a covenant of grace. It's to be received by faith. It was never to be about your works. It was always the provision of the Lord. And so some to some degree, we think of the law in a negative way, one, because of our sin, because it condemns us, but two, because we're reading it through a faulty lens. Yeah. Like, and... and Paul and obviously Jesus are, are trying to help us to see it as it was intended to be read and received, as, as a gift from a gracious God who cares for his people. And yeah. I'm not sure if this, you know, we can we can cut this out of the podcast if this is unhelpful, but I kind of wonder, uh, too, if this might be a good place to talk about. There's really, in Reformed, broader Reformed theology, there's two different camps about how you view the law. So you got like the Lutheran camp, which I think most Christians have kind of in here, which is the law has got two means, right? Like it's to restrain sin, it's to keep us from being as bad as we could be. Mm. And then two, it's this hammer that drives us to Christ. So the law serves two purposes, restrain sin, it hammers you. But both of those are negative. Yeah. Like notice the way it's framed. Uh, like Luther saw the law as a bad thing. The good, the, what it did that was good was that we weren't as bad as we could be and drives us to Christ. Calvin which is the stream of, of thought that the, our, our particular denomination stands in, he argued that there were three functions of the law, two of which are like Luther's, but are slightly distinct. So instead of saying it just restrained sin, he saw the law as a, a fence that actually protected society. Like, it's a common grace gift that means the world we live in is not as bad as it could be. Like, we get to enjoy the, the goodness of a society that has constraints on it right. so that our sin can't run rampant. That's a gift. It's a good thing. Uh, the hammer... Uh, it doesn't just drive us to Christ, but it continues to bring us back to him, even as believers. Like, we need to be drawn to repentance. Again, it's a gift. And then the third use uh, of the law that was totally different from Luther um, was that it was a means to life. It was the path to human flourishing. And we uh, I, we tend to forget that last one, and we tend to embrace a negative view of the first two. And I think it's, it's important to go, I think the scriptures paints a very positive view of the law, and Calvin was closer to, I think, what the scriptures were saying than Luther was, as good as Luther was. No, that's was. good. That's really good because I think that, you know, we, we have to keep coming back to the reality that, yes, the law, the law condemns us, right, because we are sinful creatures. Through Jesus, though, Romans 8.1, that condemnation is no longer for those who are in Christ Jesus because Christ has redeemed us from the condemnation of the law. And what does that mean practically? What does that mean on a daily basis? Well, it means that I'm now freed up through the finished work of Jesus to actually love the law. Yeah. Right? Like, as, as opposed to hate it because it only condemns me. Well, now the condemnation has been put on Christ instead of me. So now I don't have to hate it because of the condemnation it brings. Yeah. I get to love it because of the life it brings. Yeah. The, it, the law helps me understand what a flourishing life in Christ looks like because it shows me the heart of God. Well, and... Oh, go ahead. Right? Yeah, no, no. But yeah, go go with that thought because that's that I want to keep 
let's let's say that in maybe five different ways yeah. so that so that not only our listeners but even ourselves like all of us need to keep hearing that because we do just so instinctively think negatively yeah. about the law right well and it, it just makes me think we were talking about this earlier um we, we tend to think of uh these two polar extremes. On the one hand, there's legalism, you know, like the people that say, like, you just got to do this, you know, like just grit up your teeth, obey the law, and if you do that, then God will love you. On the other hand, you've got like licentiousness or antinomianism, which is the idea of like it's anti-law. The law is a bad thing to be escaped from. And one of the most powerful insights that I, I think I've ever heard was Sinclair Ferguson in his book, The Whole Christ. He basically looks at those two things and says, licentiousness and legalism are not different. There are two sides of the exact same coin that have the same root problem. Both of them view God as a cruel taskmaster and not as a loving father because they look at the God who gives the law and the legalist says, God is this person who demands that I do these things and I have to meet this task and he puts his burden on my shoulders and I'm going to do it, but I don't like it and I don't love him. And the other one looks at the law as this thing that is going to restrain their freedom. It's a bad thing. Yep. Both of them are committing the sin of Adam and Eve in the garden when basically Satan says, God's withholding from you. Yep. God doesn't want your good. He's not providing for you. He doesn't care for you. And the answer to both of those, it's the gospel. It's the God who in Christ has so loved us that he would even give up his own life. And he pours out his spirit upon us in grace and, and provides for us in full. And that means if you can look at the law, no longer is it burdensome. You think of that as it talks about in First John, right? It becomes a joy because it's, it's a, it is a father taking his children by the hands and lifting them their feet and teaching them to walk. Uh, it's, it's beautiful. Teaching them how to walk in the way that he designed exactly, right. us to walk, right? So let me, let me go back to something you said a minute ago, Bob, that I'll play devil's advocate just for a moment just to say, okay, because what you said, obviously— true and good and right and straight out of Galatians. But you were what you were basically hitting on was all of all of life in Christ is is of grace. Right? Our our justification, our conversion is is all by grace alone, faith alone, Christ alone. But but so is our sanctification. It's all a work of the Spirit in us. All right, if that's true, and obviously we believe that's true, what keeps the person from camping out in antinomianism? What, what keeps someone from just going, well, look, if it's all grace and I'm going to be forgiven no matter what, and, and I can never out God's grace, then why not just, you know, sin as much as I want and live how I want to live? Why do I have to obey the law? What, you know, if I'm not going to be justified by the law, if I'm not going to be approved of more by the law, even once I've become a Christian, where's the motivation? What, what, what is it that's driving me back to wanting to actually obey the law? Mm-hmm. Well, I think you really hit it real well just in this last week's sermon, Jeff, that the difference is love. When I realize that I've been saved because of a Father who loves me, and I really get in touch with the depth and the breadth and the just the awe-inspiring aspect of that love, then that changes everything mm. uh, that I, told, I so totally value that what He has done for me and who He is for me. And all of a sudden, that... that switches me over from a performance obedience to a loving relational obedience. Uh, you know, um, hopefully because of, for example, my relationship with my wife, I will serve her, do good to her, seek to help her because I love her. It's right. not that I'm, you know, uh, fearing negative consequences if I don't or whatever else. 
it's out of love for her. And uh, like is always the case in any loving relationship, there are times that those feelings of love are greater or lesser, but the actions of love can be there all the time because of love. But it's a relational thing. It's not just a uh, non-relational uh, deal driven out of fear, you know. And and that would be the difference is when I realize, you know, this is uh, motivated out of love, drawn out by love, mo- you know, uh, engineered by love. For example, for me personally, uh, one of the greatest things I can do devotionally in my heart is spend time in hymns. In my devotional life, besides the Psalms, I find that the more I go back to great historic hymns that celebrate the love of Christ, the cross of Christ, the grace of Christ, and I spend time in those hymns, even singing them privately in my devotional time, it almost always draws me back to wanting to obey Christ because of his great love for me. You know, sure. it's it's poetry that I've sung over and over again, and therefore it connects with my heart quickly yep. and recalibrates my heart uh, more readily. And so that really becomes a, you know, the bottom line. And that's huge. Uh, I mean, Jesus straight up said it, if you love me, you'll keep my commands, right? And and that that's not, that's not just, I don't think Jesus was saying that in a condemning way, you know, as a threatening way. Well, if you love me, then you'll keep my commands, and if not, I'll, I'm I'm coming to get you. It was more just a matter of fact statement of like, hey, this whole commandments thing, this whole obey the law thing is driven out of this love for me. And if you love me, then you'll desire that. And here's the key in the new covenant in Christ. We actually have the Holy Spirit of God living within us, the third person of the Trinity, which means we we actually have the ability now to obey him with hearts uh, enraptured by his love. You go back to Exodus 20, God's given this command um, that these, the Israelites, you know, Ezekiel has not given his great prophetic promise yet through the Holy Spirit in him of that there's a new covenant coming where I will uh, turn your hearts of stone into hearts of flesh and I'll put my spirit within you. And so there was this inability that, that uh, the Israelites had to even obey the law. Um, it was only, uh, it, they got to see the heart of God through it. They got to see the um, yeah, at some level, the love of God in it, uh, but they had no ability to obey it. But through the finished work of Jesus uh, and Pentecost now having come and, and every believer being indwelled by the Holy Spirit, we have the ability through the power of Christ in us to obey the law. One more thing I'll, I'll hit on here, Bob, I, I think that's such a good illustration about, hey, you know, I love my wife. So I'm going to serve her in ways that, you know, just because I love her. Uh, now, here's the reality, though. Let's just be real. Every every single person listening to this knows that hey, I've got I, I love people in my life. That does not mean I always do things for them out of this <laughs> overflow of yes. I so desperately long to do that. Like sometimes it does feel like duty. Sometimes it does feel like obligation. I cannot say that every time I know that it means a ton to my wife. It means a ton to Rachel for me to take the, the trash out. That that's one less thing that she has to worry about. I cannot say that I always do that with a glad heart or with a heart that says, yes, I am so ready to, cannot wait to take the trash out so, because I know it means a lot to my wife. Um, but there's this thing that I call, and I'm probably ripping this off some other person that I read whenever at some point, but I call it the principle of the lagging heart that sometimes 
even when my heart is not in that place of overflowing love for God, I have found it to be true enough times in my life where I'm now convinced that if I still do what I know pleases him, even if it doesn't feel, even if my heart is not there from a feeling standpoint, from an emotional standpoint, if I will, if I will still follow through on obeying him, my heart eventually catches up to where I'm able to look back and go, oh man, I, I, that was worth it. I'm so glad that in that moment, even though I didn't feel like doing what pleases God, um, it was the right choice. And my heart eventually got there. Sometimes our hearts are ahead of us. Sometimes our hearts emotionally are there. And sometimes they're, I would say for me, most of the time they're not. And so love, to your point earlier, Bob, love's not always, we get in dangerous waters when we start trying to define it by this overwhelming feeling of love versus uh, this is what I, I long to do because I know it pleases my father, because I know it pleases God. And I trust that my heart will catch up to that at some point. Um a couple, one final thought here is that, you know, I'll just share personally, and I, if you guys have anything to share along these lines, I'd love to hear it. But I think it's always good for us as the ones who stand up on stage and teach to just even share, hey, what am I learning in in this series? What, what's God been pressing into my own heart uh, as we work, as we have worked through the text and have prepared and prayed and so forth? And uh, I think the biggest thing is, uh, for me personally, is I, that that aspect of uh, of love. I, I, I have just sensed the Lord asking me many times over in my preparation to teach through this, uh, Jeff, do you love me? Do you love me? And um, in a very inviting, uncondemning, just arms open wide type way. Uh, do you love me? Because if you do, it's going to be evident. It's the book of James, right? And I, speaking of Luther, I think this is what Luther just never could get his mind around for whatever reason. Like he hated the book of James. And for whatever reason, I don't, you know, Luther was brilliant in a million ways that I'll never be. Um, but for some reason, he couldn't get his mind to that place of, if you love God, there's going to be evidence of that in the sense of, what might look like works or, or fruit or whatever it is that we want to call it. But if you love me, you will obey my commands. And I just have sensed the Lord asking me that, you know, are you obeying my commands? If so, that shows that you love me. And so do you love me? And uh, I, I, I feel like God's just kind of been pressing that in me. Such a simple, but yet really, really profound and, and, and significant question. Yeah. It's interesting. Oh, I was going to say, by the by, the way, speaking of Luther, I, uh, I heard somebody say once, I think this is true, he was so traumatized by his life as a monk, yeah, you know? Yeah, it was like yeah. uh, he just couldn't get out from uh, If you're an abusive system, That abusive system it. that yeah, he yeah. was battling to get away from. Uh, so we've, we've all got our things. Absolutely. But, That's a good word. Yeah. I was going to say, for me, the thing I've been getting uh, through this is that the law of love really is the law of love. Mm. And it's good for me. Yeah. And I'll tell you a story from uh, a friend and then why I've remembered that story, how it applies to me. There was uh, a pastor that was on my staff at one point in my past and talked to me about how he had been a sinned against and a, a hurt by the actions of certain people and been wrestling with that. And then he came back to me and said, you know, God has just really impressed me that what he's calling me to do is to forgive these people and uh, there are times in, in our lives we just have to be willing to have been sinned against. Mm. Uh, 
And he went on to say the great freedom he found in that because he had been battling for a while in some passive-aggressive or mild ways to try to get justified and get everything, make himself right, so to speak, and prove that he's right. And I don't want to say here there are never times, there are times to stand up against having been sinned against. Uh, and there are times to demand what is right and just. So there are many cases like that. But there are also cases, you know, where the scriptures say bear with one another, you know, and forgive each other whatever offense. And uh, sometimes that means a willingness to forgive, even if the other person doesn't repent and see it. And you may not be able to retrust them and be as close to them, but you can forgive. You can love and bless and not be embittered against. And that's where this brother was. There's just times he said, we have to be willing to be sinned against. And the reason that has always stood out for me is that one of the problems of my heart is I really like to win. Mm -hmm. (laughs) And I really like to be right, you know. And uh, so there are definitely times in my life where uh, it is much better for me when I realize this is not a situation where I have to win. This is not a situation where I have to be right or prove that I'm right. This is a situation to be subject to those around me. You know, this is a even a case in which I can be willing to be sinned against and simply bear with and forgive. And it's amazing how much peace comes to my heart when I cross that threshold. Yeah, uh, And that's just a little example of how the will of God for us is always a good thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and I'm sure we can see this sometimes in the lives of other people. You see somebody getting into a love relationship with somebody that's contrary to God's word and God's will, and you can see it, and you can just see this thing's going toward a train wreck. You, you're, you're pursuing this relationship because you want it so badly, and I can see this is going to be a train wreck for you. They can't see it. You can see it. And the I just try to remind myself sometimes that, you know, God's viewpoint is always for my good, mm. and he can see every single instance in which I'm battling against his word and his law for something I want, and he's looking at it and saying, Bob, you know, you, you think you're going for something good? That's going to be a trade wreck. Yeah. You know, here's what you need to do. It's according to my grace and my gospel and my law, and it's, it's always a good thing if I'll embrace it. And one of the things I'm hearing you say in that too, Bob, is I think about the you know, in some ways, it's even getting us to that place. Before you shared that last little piece, something you said before that made me think of this, the second table of law. Mm-hmm. What, what does it look like to love my neighbor? Yeah. You know, um, sometimes what that looks like to love my neighbor is uh, to be willing to be sinned against. And, uh, and even, gosh, how do we see that on full display, right, with Jesus of... Uh, to love us well, he was willing to be fully sinned against, uh, and not and and to the point of death on a cross. You know, so um, anyway, it's good thoughts, Caleb. What about when you think about what what's God been pressing in on you, even in this series? I mean, there's could be many of these. I think before I say anything, I need to say I need to be careful that I don't slander Luther. He did later <laughs> on in his career articulate something like Calvin's third use. It just took him a lot longer to get there. If anybody has slandered Luther in this podcast, it was me. I, I, I need. <laughs> I, I just need to be say clear I'm sorry. The, I want to be, be be clear. Early on, he was very much two uses, but later on, he does begin to go towards a third. Calvin just says it better. But yeah. anyways, uh, I I think one of the things that 
has really impressed me when I was preaching through Exodus 19 and just looking at this, this picture of God's redeeming grace for his people and then the purpose that he has for them, the hinge on which them fulfilling that purpose swings is that they hear and obey his voice and keep his covenant. And, and it just, I think what really was hitting to me is like, it's so easy to jump from that of going, God wants his people as a whole, like a corporate body to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. But that starts with individual Israelites embracing the covenant from the heart and, in, and, and following the voice of the Lord. Uh, like you think of like Israel was supposed to be every single one of them, like little Boazes from the book of Ruth who are trusting the steadfast love of the Lord and embracing the law as a gift, and as a result, blessing the people around them, and and I and you know you see Jesus fulfill that perfectly. Jesus is the the, the model Israelite in a lot of ways, or in every way. Uh, but I think it just really struck me of sitting there going, man, it's so easy to sit there and go, man, here's what I want to see happen to us as a body. But that starts first with me in a posture of of repentance and faith in in Christ. And going, Lord, how would you have me follow you and trust you? And how should I be listening to your voice with my life, with my kids, with my neighbors, uh, in the way I do my work? Um, and I was, you know, just looking at this few, this morning. I've been looking through First Peter. You know, First Peter builds off that same image, and uh, it, it talks about like this is you know what it means if you're going to be a kingdom of priests and a holy nation. He begins to kind of lay out these different. Uh, uh, the way that the implications of that in like different stations of life, but every one of them ends up drilling down to and looking back at what Jesus has done. So like in, you know, first Peter two, uh, it says uh, it is, is a good thing to do good and suffer. Um, this is a gracious thing in the sight of God for to this, you have been called because Christ also suffered for you, leaving you in examples so that you might follow in his steps. He committed no sin. Neither was deceit found in his mouth. When he was reviled, now this one just nails me, he did not revile in return. Like, I mean, how, I just, I'm sitting here just thinking of social media right now, my own and others, but it's so quick. Someone attacks you, what do you do? You attack right back. Yeah. Uh, we, we, we revile right back. Well, if we're following the Lord, we're not allowed to do that. Yeah. Uh, when he suffered, he didn't threaten. He didn't threaten. He continued entrusting himself to the one who judges justly. He himself bore our sins in his body on the tree that we might die to sin and live to righteousness. By his wounds you have been healed. For you were straying like sheep, but have now returned to the shepherd and overseer of your souls. And I guess just for me, just kind of go, man, I have all these things I really want to see happen in the life of the church, but it, it, it starts with me repenting myself and, and running back to my Savior. Yeah. Following him. And, and being, as we said this past week, being being found standing in the glorious center of the cross, mm. um, you know, it's only in the cross where, on the legalistic side of things, the 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 demands of the law have been fully met in Jesus. And then on the legalist uh, on the uh, uh, licentious side, if you will, every way in which we've broken the law has been forgiven. And uh, man, what what good news! And so. We'll, we'll stop there. We'll leave it at that. Uh, I mean, I always feel like we could we could make these podcasts two hours long if we wanted to and just keep talking, but we've probably already said enough. But thanks for joining me again today, guys. Um, we will look forward to doing another Digging Deeper podcast with our next series coming up, which is on uh, worship 
and uh, what does it mean to be people who worship well in, in all of our lives, not just on a Sunday morning, but in everything that we do. So we'll look forward to doing that one. Check out our show notes, uh, go to our website, see all the ways in which uh, you can continue to dig deeper with us. Uh, until next time, we're grateful for you and may the Lord bless you.